0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. I pray that this message you're about to hear not only inspires you, but it also encourages you to follow Jesus even more. In fact, there are probably people in your life who need to hear this timely word. Chances are, you might be thinking about them right now. I wanna encourage you, share this message with them. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the subscribe button. And also, I wanna thank all those who support us. We wouldn't have any ministry outside of these four walls if it weren't for our friends who come alongside us in prayer and support us financially. There are thousands who are benefited by this ministry because of your giving, and we thank you for it. To continue or even to start supporting our mission to help others and their families follow Jesus, you can give by visiting cfmiami.org slash give. All right, enjoy the sermon. Amen, amen. Folks, what beautiful words that, that song contains, right? Forever days, we will praise our God in all the days of our lives and in heaven forever and ever. Do you believe that Christ Fellowship? Come on, I got here. Amen. Hey, well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses joining us live all throughout Miami. Welcome. My name is Zomar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. Uh, And especially if you're a first-time guest, thank you Uh, for joining us today. Uh, We believe that every time we come together, God's going to speak to our hearts to encourage us and to lead us in his ways. Amen. And so we're glad that you're here with us today. And uh, we are actually in our second week of a series called The Unholy Wondering, uh, which is a study of selected uh, passages from the wanderings of the people of Israel in those 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Last week, we learned about unholy idolatry, and then today, the title of the message is An Unholy View of God. And so I am eager and ready to dive into God's word. I hope you are as well. And so wherever you find yourself, let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 33. And you can follow along with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's word says. And Moses said to God, please, God, show me your what? Your glory. Your glory. In other words, show me God, who you are, who you are at the depth of your being, God. Show me. And then God said, "I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord." That is God's word. You can go into conceit at all campuses? And family, let me start off by sharing this with you. You know, many of you know that my dad lives in the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. And growing up, I would always go once a year to go visit him. That's me this past summer. That's her with Camila, my 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 little girl. And I think we have also a picture of me and uh, of the grandchildren. Mateo was not having it that day, obviously. Uh, but man, every time I'm able to, <laughs> yeah, you know, every time I go to see him, it's always a a, a great time for me to spend time with my dad and. Throughout the years, I've had a really good relationship with my father. And as I've shared with you before, uh, my dad uh, is not a believer yet in Christ, uh, but every time that I've gone to see him, uh, I, I do my best to have a gospel conversation with my father. Now, folks, follow me here, because years ago, there was one gospel conversation that I distinctly remember. In fact, we were in Cyprus and close to where he lives, there's a little beach called Galapsides. So we went to that beach, and it was a small little beach, clear water, very tranquil. And we were in the water just hanging out and just talking and catching up. And folks, during that time, while we were in the water, the topic of God came up. So I thought, you know, this will be a great opportunity to have another gospel conversation with my father. And so I asked him the question, Dad, what do you, when you think about God, what do you think? Like, what's your view of God? And, and wouldn't you want to have a relationship with God? And at that point, he responded and he told me, listen, Omar, I believe that God exists. You know, I believe that, you know, there's a God somewhere. I mean, I, be, I believe that, that God exists. But Omar, I don't think we can know him personally I don't think that we can never really know who God is. We just kind of live and we just know that somewhere there's a God that exists. And folks, what I came to realize in that, at that moment is that my father is okay, It's open to the idea of God. He doesn't have nothing wrong with it. But in his heart, he doesn't believe that we can never know God, that we can never ha- know the character of God, who God really is at, at the depth of, his, uh, of who he is, And much less, we can never have a relationship with God. And folks, let me just bring that over to our teaching for today because really what an example of so many people in this world. And by that I mean that just like my dad, right, is not opposed to the thought of God, but that but by things we can never really know God, just like that, and here's the main idea as we open up God's word today. You know, there's so many people in this world that in the same way are not opposed to the idea of God. They're not, they're, they're not hostile to the, to the idea that there's a God who exists. But in their mind, they think they can never really know God. That we can never really know the character of God. And so any time that we spend pursuing the things of God and really trying to, to know who He is, really is a futile endeavor because ultimately, since we can never know who really God is, it's really a waste of time to pursue the Lord in that way. And who knows, maybe you're here right now, and I'm kind of describing you. Maybe someone brought you here for the first time. Maybe you've come here and there sporadically, and, and, uh, and you're here. But the reality is that because you're at church, right, you're not opposed to the idea of God. But you don't really think you can really know God personally. And so to spend all of your time pursuing the things of God, to a certain extent, may be foolish to you. But you're here right now sitting, you're thinking, Omar, does God really reveal himself to us? Can we really know the character of God? And if we can know the character of God, how is God? Who is God in the depth of who he is? Well, folks, we're going to find out today from God's word, an encounter that God had with God, that Moses had with God himself, right? And so if you have your Bible, let turn to Exodus chapter 33. And today I have three important thoughts for us to know about how to know and have a holy view of God. Are you already all ready, Christ Fellowship at our campus? Come on, let me hear you, come on. Yeah, yeah. Man, love it when you're tapped in. So write this down as point number one. Here's the first thing that we need to know. And that is that our souls... Your soul, my soul, listen, we all long to know our creator. Now folks, listen to what God's word says in Exodus 33. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. Stop right there for just a moment. Because last week we studied and learned how when Moses was up in Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, the people of God thought that Moses had died. And so if you recall, they made a golden calf, a golden cow, an idol, and began to worship that golden calf. And so when Moses came down and he saw what happened, he got angry. He destroyed that idol, he, 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 uh, he made it into powder, put it in the water, and he made the people of God drink the idol that they were worshiping. You got to love Moses, right? But then at this juncture, God is very angry with the people of Israel for their idolatry. And so he tells them, listen, move on from Mount Sinai, but my presence is not going to go with you. And so as you read this passage, you're going to see that Moses begins to plead with God to please God if we, we cannot move forward if your presence is not with us. And so listen to what happens next. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And so in other words, because of your request, I am going to go with you nevertheless. I'm going to go with the people of God. But then listen to the request that Moses makes. Moses then said... Please, God, show me your what? Glory. Your what? Yeah, glory. your glory. Now, folks, here's what I love. That Moses just didn't want to know that God was with them, that, their, that God's presence was going with the people of Israel. No, God, he was not content with that. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know the character of God. In other words, Moses was asking God, God, show me your glory. Reveal more of who you are to me. And folks, isn't the cry of Moses to God at that moment in time is the cry of every human heart. Whether they realize it or not, there is a cry inside of every single soul that wants to know who created us. It's like an orphan who long, who never met their parents, who longs to know how was my father like, how was my mother like, right? There's that longing inside of them. Listen, all of us have that longing, whether we realize it or not, to know who it is that created us. Folks, here's the good news. Write this down as big number two. Our God delights to reveal himself to us. In fact, listen to what happens next. And he said... Meaning, uh, meaning God, and God said, "I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord." But He said, "You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live." For the and the Lord said, "Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by." I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So God said, Moses, you want to know who I am? I'm going to reveal myself myself to you. So I'm going to put you on the cleft of the rock. But as, as I pass, as all of my glory passes, listen, your body can never see God the Father in his state and live. Why? We have sinful bodies, right? He is just too holy. His holiness would consume us. And so God said, as I pass before you, I'm going to cover your eyes so that you're not exposed to my full glory, but you're going to see my afterglory, my afterglow of my glory. And as I pass by, I'm going to reveal myself to you. So listen to what happens next. And so the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, notice carefully, the Lord, the Lord. Now, folks, circle, if you have your Bibles open or your handouts, circle the, 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 the word Lord right there. The Lord, the Lord. Circle that right there. Because the word here for Lord is not the general word for Lord. Rather, in the original Hebrew, it is the personal name of God. And the personal name of God is Yahweh. What many people do not realize is that God's personal, God has a, a, a personal name and his name is, is, is Yahweh. God is not his name. God is who he is. But the personal name of God is Yahweh. It's like my children, right, my two kids, when they see me, they call me Daddy, right? But that's not my name. Daddy is who I am to them. But my name is Omar, right? Just like this, right? God is who he is, but the personal name of the Father is Yahweh. And so, and so, and so you might be wondering, well, Omar, I've never seen the word kind of Yahweh in Scripture. What, what, do, you, what do you get all that? Well, let, let, me, let me help you understand where that's embedded in Scripture. So, for example, I'm going to give you a, a, a quick a, a, a visual. So whenever you see in Scripture the word Lord, just like that capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's all throughout Scripture, right? That's referring in the original text to the word Adonai, which the word Adonai simply means Lord, like the Lord of a castle, the Lord of a manor, the Lord of an empire, you know, whatever. It's the title, Lord. So whenever you see the word Lord spelled like that, it's really referring to Adonai, Lord. However, whenever you see in Scripture the word Lord spelled like this, Capital L and then lowercase capital, right? Or do you see a difference? You see the difference, right? Whenever you see that in scripture, when God's word says it like that, that means it's not Lord like Adonai, it's the actual name of God is Yahweh. And so, and so what we see is that throughout scripture, Yahweh comes from the root word in the Hebrew for being, For for, for being so, uh, what many uh, you know the general consensus of the meaning of the name Yahweh is either the the Yahweh the self-sufficient one or the self-existing one. That is what the name Yahweh means. Why? Because every everything in the created order in this universe cannot has to depend on something outside of itself, namely God, to exist. But God, on the other hand, he's the only self-existing one. He is a self-sufficient one. He is a su- the, the self-sustaining one that God doesn't need anything outside of itself to exist. He just exists. He is Yahweh, the self-existing one. Can I get an amen to that? And so if you think about it, for thousands of years, humanity did not know the personal name of God. For example, Adam didn't know the personal name of God. Noah didn't know the personal name of God. Jacob, Isaac, all those people didn't know the, the personal name of God. God, for the first time, revealed his personal name in Exodus chapter 3, where when, when God told Moses to go to the land of Egypt and, uh, and to deliver the people of Israel from captivity, God, Moses told God, God, when I get there, and they tell me, and they ask me, who sent you to us? What do I say, God? What, what do I say at that moment? Well, here's what God said. In Exodus 3, he said, it says, say this to the people of Israel, the what? The Lord. Or, notice the spelling there, right? Or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my what? My name. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so, folks, what I love about this moment, going back to to the moment where Moses is on the cleft of the rock, at that moment, God, before he reveals who he is, he declares his name twice, Yahweh, Yahweh. And what happens next is the first time in Scripture where God reveals explicitly his character. Before all that, God was revealing himself implicitly through promises, through different things. But never there was a moment where God himself declared who he is, the character of his nature. And so as Moses is on the cleft of that rock and the glory of the Lord is passing by, God said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh. And then he says, a God, what? Merciful. The first thing God says about himself is that he is a merciful God. See, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Amen? Not only is he a merciful God, he says that he's a gracious God. He gives us what we don't deserve. Everything we have, we don't deserve it. But God is gracious enough to give it to us. And then he says, like, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. You know, so many of us, we get so easily angered about things in life. We get angry at kids. We get angry at spouses. We get angry at family members. We get angry at neighbors. We get angry at bosses. We get angry at everybody. And so quick to anger, but our God reveals himself and he is a God slow to anger. It says, I am an abounding in steadfast what? Love. He is a loving God. In fact, when I was just meditating on that, notice if you think about it, he says steadfast love. You know, if you really think about it, because of our sinful nature, our love fluctuates for people, right? Good times we love people a lot, not bad times we don't love people that much. You know, it's, it, we fluctuate. But you know God says, my love is steadfast, full and never ending. Not only that, but he has steadfast faithfulness. In other words, whatever God declares, whatever God promises, it is in his nature to accomplish that. He cannot lie. He cannot change. Then it says, keeping steadfast love for thousands of forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is a forgiving God. Amen. You know, if you're watching right now, one of our local campuses, and you're thinking, listen, Omar, if God, God can never forgive me what I've done in my life. God cannot forgive me what I did to my spouse, to my children, to that person. God can never forgive me. Listen carefully. The true God is a forgiving God. Amen. He knows what you've done and he still desires to forgive you. But then it says but why, but why but but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In other words, he is a righteous God. He is a just God. And he will always deal with sin according to what it deserves. And so what I love about it is that in this moment in human history, God reveals to, huma- to Moses, but to humanity, his character. And from that point on in scripture, God is going to continue to reveal himself more and more to humanity. And this recall, if you're taking notes, write this down, Letter A, at all campuses. From that point on, God's revelation was progressive through the Old Testament, in fact, just so you have a good understanding of what I mean by that, let me just show you a visual so that you can kind of track with me, all right? So for example, uh, at creation, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, if we look at the original word for God there, it is the word Elohim. Now, the word El in the Hebrew is El, the word for God is El in the Hebrew, and that's singular, but Elohim is the plural of a word, of of the word God. So it's it's funny, right from the get-go, in Genesis chapter 1, God is already showing, even though I'm one God, I have three persons, right? He was already showing, I am not El, I am Elohim, right? Then, throughout the book of Genesis, if we continue, he starts revealing who he is, right? He's El Shaddai. God Almighty, he is, he's El Elyon, right? The word El is God, El Elyon, God Most High, El Olam, God Everlasting, right? So he's showing he is the Almighty God, he is the Most High God, he is the Everlasting God, and he continues to reveal himself through, to the people through the book of Genesis. Then we get to Exodus chapter 3, we just read, where he reveals himself, his personal name to Moses, which is Yahweh, Right? And then we get to Exodus chapter 33, and there in the passage that we're studying today, he reveals the character of Yahweh, which we saw merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, um, uh, uh, just, I, I can, uh, just, and righteous. Right. And so what we see here, right, is that at that point in Exodus 33, right, he starts revealing the explicit character of God, of the God who is Yahweh. And then from that moment on, God then starts revealing more and more through the prophets. He starts revealing more and more and more to humanity who he is. And until, write this down, letter B, God's revelation was final through Christ. Amen? In fact, that's why in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, long ago and at many times and in many ways in the Old Testament... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his who son. by his son which means that at, that Christ is the full and complete revelation of who God is which means there's no new need for new revelation There's no new need for a prophet to tell us from God that we've never heard before. There's no need for anything else. Why? Because when Christ came, he is the full and complete revelation of God. Amen? And if you think about it, at the cross, we see the apex of the revelation of God. If you think about all the description that God gave in Exodus 33, right, with all those attributes that we just read through, Never in human history will you see all the attributes of God perfectly revealed to humanity that in the cross of Christ. Because at the cross, we see the mercy of God. We see the grace of God. We see the faithfulness of God. We see the love of God. We see the justice of God. We see the holiness of God. We see the righteousness of God. And so at the cross, what we see is that the perfect moment in human history all the revelation of who God is at that specific moment, God Almighty, the righteous God, showing all of his attributes as his son is giving his life for you and for me. Can we praise God today for that? And if you think about this, how blessed are we to be living in this day and age, in this time in human history? Think about this. If we can go back to the chart, if we can go back to the chart for just a moment, yeah. Back in the Old Testament, people knew that God existed and they had a, a somewhat understanding of who God is, but they didn't really know God fully. They did, there was no full, complete revelation of God. But you and I now live in a time in human history where we know who God is. So as you go through the good times in life, as you go through those heartbreaks, as you go through those discouraging moments, as you go through those confusing moments, you don't need to wonder, how is God? How does God, you know, who is the, listen, we know already, Amen? amen? God has fully revealed himself to us and we can live our lives accordingly and confident that he who has revealed himself to us will be faithful to the end of time. Can we praise God today again for that? And here's what happens. The more that we learn about God, write this down as big number three, the revelation of God transforms us. In fact, going back to Exodus 34, listen to what happens after Moses had that encounter with God and he understood the character of God. It says that Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and what? Worship. And he worshiped. You see, if you continue reading the Old Testament, Moses was a different, person, a different person after this moment. There was just something different about him. In fact, in the book of Numbers, it says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Why? The moment that he beheld and he saw God for who he was, something changed inside of him. And folks, the same thing happens to you and me as well. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Listen to what it says. It says, and we all, right, you and I, us, Christ Fellowship, right, and we all, what's the next word? Beholding. Beholding. Seeing, right, the glory or the revelation of the Lord are being what, church? Are being transformed. Into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. You see, this verse here is really—it really unfolds a spiritual truth, and that spiritual truth is that we become what we behold. We become whatever we behold, whatever we look to, we end up becoming. In other words, whatever you set your eyes on, the, your physical eyes or the, the eyes of your heart and your mind, whatever you behold, whatever you see, you, turn out, you start becoming like, like that. So if you're beholding God, then you're going to become more and more in, into the image of his son. Yes. But if we behold other things, then we become more and more like that thing that we're beholding of this world. And, folks, you even see that in, in children. You know, when a little girl starts looking, you know, watching videos after videos of a specific actress or a specific uh, singer, guess what? Little by little, they start dressing like that. They start talking that way. They want to be like them, right? Same thing with boys or sports figures or, or artists or whatever the case may be. And even us, even as we get older, right, the moment that we focus more on, uh, 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 on a thing on this world, uh, uh, whether it's uh, a career, business, money, a hobby, whatever the case may be, guess what? The more you behold something, the more you become more and more like that one thing. And so the question for us today is this. What are you beholding in your life? What do you spend all of your time, all of your heart, all of your heart, your mind... What do you spend focused on? Because whatever you are focused on in your life, whatever you're beholding, inevitably you're going to become more and more and more like that one thing. In, in fact, the truth is that some of us are spending all of our time not beholding God, but beholding the things of this world. And no wonder why you haven't matured in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've been coming to New Christ, to Christ's fellowship for a year, five years, ten years, and if you look at your life, you have not really changed or matured or become more like Christ than you were a year ago or five years ago and ten years ago. Could it be because you call yourself a Christian, but the truth of the matter is that you're not beholding God, you're not focused on God, but you're really beholding other things in this world. And no wonder why there's no transformation in your life. And this is why, folks, get this. This is why A.W. Tozer, in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which, listen, if you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. Short little book, but so powerful. A.W. Tozer said this in The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the most portentous fact. Now, think about this: the most important fact about you is not how popular you are, is not how, money, how much money you have, is not how successful you are. According to those, the most important thing about us is what we think when we think about God. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he, in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. You see, we tend by the secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. And so you're probably wondering, well, Omar, how can we behold God? How can we, do, do, do I go outside and just look up in the sky? How can we behold God? How can we set our eyes on God? Well, very simple. Write this down letter A. You behold God through his word. And folks, make no mistake about it. All of creation testifies that there is a God that exists. So when you stand before God, if you say, oh, I didn't know that God exists, God says, you have no excuse because creation shows that there is a creator God. But it is only through his word that you get to know the character of God, who God really is. And folks, here's what I want you to understand today. You will never become like Christ unless you start reading his word. Listen, the most important fact, the most important part of your Christian life is not you coming to Christ Fellowship for an hour and 15 on the weekends. It's not the good things you do at work. It's not all the different things, isn't it? The most important part of your Christian walk is whether or not you throughout the week, you're taking time to read God's word. See, if you don't read God's word on your own, you are never really going to mature. Why? Because you are never beholding God. And so when you wonder, why haven't I grown in my walk with the Lord after years? Well, perhaps because all you're doing is relying on an hour here on the weekends, but there's no time throughout the week where you are focused on God, where you're beholding God, where you're becoming more and more conformed into the image of God. And so listen, if you want to grow spiritually, the only way to do that is that you need to read God's word and behold the glory of God. Can I get an amen to that? But folks, here's what I want to encourage you. As you open up God's word throughout the weekend, you start reading his word, I want to encourage you, listen, do not read with a mentality, uh, do not read to confirm what you think God is like. And the reason I say that is because so many people come to the table with the wrong preconception of who God is. Of what he should do, of what he is like. All of us do that, right? We have a sinful nature. All of us create a wrong, distorted image, perception of who God is. And so so many people come to God's word with a wrong perception of who God is, and then they pick and choose little verses throughout scripture to confirm the wrong view of God. Instead of coming to God's word and opening God's word and saying, Lord, I don't want to confirm what I think He should be like. I want to know who you are. In fact, the hardest, the, 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 people ask me, what's the hardest thing about teaching God's word? Do you know what it is? It's very simple. It's knowing that there's people who come to our church who have the wrong preconception of who God is. And then there's moments that I have to teach hard truth of God's word. There's certain things about God that maybe you did not expect that he would do or that he is like. And here's what happens. Sometimes when I have to teach certain hard truths from God's word, you'll hear someone, oh, well, God is not, my God is not like that. Oh, my God will never do that. And I would say, yeah, your God will never do that because you don't have the right, because it's not the true God. It's a figment of your imagination. Because of one true God, the moment you open up God's word, He does things what he, as He pleases, and no one can tell Him what He can do and what He cannot do. You say, God has a right to do what He pleases, and He has the right to do what He chooses to do. And so, therefore, my encouragement to us as a church is that as we come to God's word, we say, Lord, I'm leaving my preconceptions of who you are and what you should do and what the things that you shouldn't do aside, and I'm going to open my heart with humility. And I'm going to take in the full revelation of God so that I can know who God really, truly is. Can I get an amen to that? And so listen, if you want to grow and mature in your relationship with the Lord, The only way that you can become more like Christ is by beholding God. And the only way you can behold God is through his word. Now, folks, let me end with this. You know, many of us have heard of Charles Darwin. And what many people do not realize about Charles Darwin, who, as we all know, wrote The Orange of the Species and as kind of like the father of the evolutionary thought. What many people do not know about Charles Darwin is that when he was younger, he went to Cambridge... And he was studying theology, and he was in line to go into ministry. And so early on, he had had begun to behold the Lord, but something happened at age 22. He, He stopped beholding the Lord, and then he started beholding rocks, plants, insects, and everything else. You see, he stopped beholding and focusing on God, and he started focusing and beholding, not the creator, but the created things. And as you read his story, he became so obsessed with it that he became all of his life, he kept staring and beholding and focused on the things of this world. And little by little, he became, he started to change as a person. And so many people think, oh, Darwin probably ended his life with, you know, so successful and so famous with so much joy and so much fulfillment, but not quite. Actually, Darwin ended his life without joy and discouraged. In fact, listen to what he wrote in his autobiography. He said, at the end of his life, he wrote this, I have almost lost any taste for pictures and music when he was young, he used to love those things. I retained some taste for fine scenery, but it does not cause me the exquisite delight which it formerly did. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of large collection, collection of facts. And then notice, the loss of these tastes is a loss of happiness. What's sad to say about Darwin is that even though at one point of his life he was, he started to perhaps behold the creator, the one that could give him joy, the one that could give him meaning, the one that could give him purpose in life. And he took his eyes off of the creator and he put his eyes on created things. And at the end of his life, he came to realize that all the things that he had developed and thought through, ultimately, not only were there just false theories, but those things never gave him the joy and the meaning and the, and the purpose that he envisioned for his life. He, he died a man without joy and discouraged. Why? He, he stopped beholding the creator. He started beholding created things that were never meant to give him any sense of joy and satisfaction. And what a lesson for so many of us. Some of us maybe here and fairly young. And some of us may start beholding the things of God. But be careful, child of God, that you stop beholding God, setting your eyes on the things of this world. Because listen, setting your eyes, beholding the things of this world will never give you the joy that you ever, that that you desired. Only beholding the Lord. Could Could that be true, amen? And maybe you're here right now. And as you're listening to this message, you, you've begun to realize, wow, you know I, I don't think I've ever beheld God. I don't think my life has ever been focused on God. All of my life I've just been focused from, I've been beholding and focused on relationship after relationship, career after career, uh, hobby after hobby, uh, car after car, fashion after fashion, uh, business after business, all these different things, this lifestyle after lifestyle, group of friends after group of friends, you've been all your life beholding the things of this world, and you're here today realizing those things who never give you the joy that you're looking for. And you're sitting here right now, ultimately, if you're honest with yourself, discouraged, because everything that you've tried to find your ultimate joy and satisfaction in has left you empty and disappointed. And you realize that the reason you that, that you feel this way is because you've never beheld the Lord. You've never looked to the Lord. And so you're here today saying, Omar, man, I, I'm in a place right now that I feel like I need God in my life. I'm tired. I'm tired of just living life apart from God. I need the Lord in my life. I need to behold the Lord. So, 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 so Omar, how can I be saved from this? How can I have a relationship with God? How, how, how does that work? It was very simple. The Bible says this. For those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Saved from their sin, saved from their discouragement, saved from all the the shames of life. Listen, by just calling on the name of the Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. You probably wonder, well, how do you call on God? It's not about coming to church. It's not about a ritual. It's not about good works. It's nothing like that. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You shall be saved. See, there has to be a moment you say, you know what, I'm I'm going to stop putting my trust in all the things of this world. And I'm putting my trust in what Jesus did for me at the cross. How he died for my sins. How he he lived that perfect life for me. How he died for my sins, for all of my shame. He paid the price for me so I don't have to pay that. And that he resurrected to new life. And the Bible says that the moment you did that, the moment you put your faith and your trust in Christ, the Bible says that all those things that you've done, that you're ashamed of, that you know you've done wrong, listen, the Lord forgives you. And not only that, but then the Lord says, you know what, now when you look towards me, now he makes you his own. You become a child of God, you become a son of God, a daughter of God, and you start a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. And from that point on, the more that you walk with your Heavenly Father, the more that you behold Him, the more that you walk with Him, like a little child walks with His Father, the more you behold the Lord, you're going to become more and more and more conformed into the image of His Son. But there has to be a moment in your life where you say, you know, I'm done. I need God in my life. And you put your trust and faith in the Lord. The question is, will you do so today? Let's bow our head for prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and for those of us who are believers in Christ already, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we need to keep our eyes on you, Lord. Let us behold you, Lord. Let us go to your word and let us become and mature so that we can be conformed to the image of your Son. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to speak to those of us today who you are at a point in your life that says, you know what, I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready. And so if that's you, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And when you pray this, listen, at all campuses, when you pray this, listen, you don't pray this to me. I'm only a man, I cannot save you. You pray to the God who loves you and He gave His Son for you. And when you pray, you you realize, listen, that the words itself that you're praying are not saving you. It is the faith behind the prayer. It is a faith fueling the words that you're speaking to God. So as you pray, you go to the Lord in faith. So pray this quietly to yourself, and to, but pray to God. Lord, today I realize that I've been beholding everything else, everything in this world except you. And I realize, Lord, that I need you So I come before you, O Lord, and I confess everything I've done, all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all those shameful things, Lord, I confess them before you, and I ask for forgiveness of sin. And today, Lord, I am putting my trust in you. I'm surrendering my life today, O Lord. So save me, Lord, from my sin. Give me everlasting life. And for the rest of my life, let me walk alongside of you. As I look up to you, oh God, behold you. And become more and more like your son. Thank you, God, for saving me today. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray, and all of God's people say, amen. Amen.